Welcome back to Generals and Napoleon. Episode 25, Marshal Murat, King of Naples. Murat was one of two marshals to trade his baton for a king's crown. But unlike Marshal Bernadotte, he was unable to keep his kingdom. That being said, he was the best cavalryman of the era and might be the best one in the long, chivalrous history of cavalry. He performed best when he was in the saddle and could narrow his focus to one single function, leading a charge without hesitation or fear. He also commanded what is generally considered to be the greatest cavalry charge in modern history, leading 11,000 horsemen against the Russians at the Battle of Eilau. However, when he was away from the battlefield, his career was mixed. As Napoleon once stated, quote, I cannot conceive how so brave a man could be so unreliable. He was only brave when confronted by the enemy, and then he was perhaps the bravest man in the world. But if he was placed in council, he was a coward with no judgment and quite incapable of making a decision. End quote. Murat's life reads like a choose-your-own-adventure novel where he had to make many difficult decisions along the way. Some were smart choices, and others were truly dumb decisions. Some historians and contemporaries dismiss him as a lucky dolt who only reached his high position in life due to his courage and Napoleon's goodwill. But the dandy king, as Murat was known in Naples, did indeed create much of his own luck. Joachim Murat was born on March 25, 1767, in a town now called La Bastide Murat, France. The Gascon's town's name was changed to honor its most famous son. He was the third son of a humble innkeeper, Pierre Murat, and his pious wife, Jean. He was one of 12 children, six of whom died as infants. Murat's parents intended for him to pursue a vocation in the church. He began his studies at the age of 10 and seemed to have a knack for it. But one day in 1787, while studying at the seminary, the adolescent Murat yearned for something more and slipped out of the doors to sign up for the Chasseurs of the Ardennes a French cavalry unit. As a young man, he had a fondness for horses and worked as a stable boy, so a career as a dashing cavalryman seemed tailor-made for Murat. Although he was young, he had a natural confidence about him with dark eyes and dark curly locks of hair. Due to his education, young Murat soon rose in the ranks of the Royal Army, obtaining the rank of Sergeant Major. But in 1789, he resigned from the Army for reasons unclear, although some said it was an affair that caused him to leave. After departing the ranks, he became an assistant in a drapery shop. The following year, 
the lure of the army inspired Murat to rejoin in the National Guard. A short time later, he was reinstated to his old cavalry regiment. He resumed his old habits of having illicit affairs and dueling with anyone who would challenge him. During the turmoil of the French Revolution, Murat's unit was assigned to protect King Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette in their flight from Paris. Unfortunately, the king and queen were arrested for trying to escape the country and taken back to the capital. In 1792, Murat was chosen to be in the elite constitutional guard of the king. Around this time, he met his protege and future marshal, Bessier, another famous cavalryman. In the same year, Murat finally made it into the officer ranks, becoming a lieutenant in October. Sadly, two tragedies were approaching. First, his brother Pierre died in late 1792. And then in January 1793, the king was executed by guillotine. Wanting a way out of the Constitutional Guard, the relentlessly self-promoting Murat secured a promotion to captain. Around this time, his loud boasting caught the attention of some ministers in the government who accused him of being an aristocrat, and he was briefly imprisoned. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. During this difficult period in his life, Murat wrote, quote, I intend to make my way if God and the bullets allow, end quote. He successfully defended himself against his detractors and was eventually released. Two years later, in October, counter-revolutionaries and royalists wanted to reinstate the monarchy with an armed uprising in Paris. The weak revolutionary government and their available troops were outnumbered as 7,000 insurgents took to the streets. Luckily, a young upstart general named Napoleon Bonaparte was in the capital at the time and named commander of the defending forces. Napoleon quickly mustered all available forces in the city, 4,500 regular troops along with some local militia. But he really needed cannons to command the main streets of Paris. As Napoleon was marshalling his forces, pun intended, Murat and his squadron of cavalry volunteered their assistance. General Napoleon immediately dispatched Captain Murat to retrieve a large battery of cannons from the local artillery park. Murat and his troopers rode hell for leather through the nighttime streets of Paris and arrived just before the royal insurgents grabbed the cannons. After securing 40 cannons, Napoleon organized their placement to create effective fields of fire. Sure enough, the insurgents marched towards Napoleon's men. 
Napoleon then ordered the famous whiff of grape shot, and the cannon fire sent the rioters scrambling for cover. After a few cannon shots were loosed, Napoleon sent Murat and his chasseurs in for a cavalry charge. And just like that, the revolt was violently squashed, with 300 dead on the streets and many more wounded. Napoleon and his new aide-de-camp Murat had saved France's government. For his efforts, Murat was promoted to colonel. In March 1796, Napoleon was made commander-in-chief of all French forces in Italy, and Murat asked to join him in the campaign. A few weeks later, Murat led a cavalry charge in the victorious Battle of Dago over the Austrians. The scouting efforts of Murat's cavalry soon became invaluable to Napoleon. The French Army of Italy soon benefited from the cavalry's efforts, winning battle after battle against the Austrians. In May, Murat was promoted again to Brigadier General. He also served Napoleon on special services, including a diplomatic mission to Genoa. His dashing swagger, six-foot-tall frame, and ornate uniforms were usually awe-inspiring to all parties who encountered him. During this time, he also learned how to conduct siege warfare by participating in the massive siege of Mantua. In 1798, Murat was given command of the cavalry for Napoleon's conquest of Egypt. He participated in the Battle of the Pyramids, but did nothing of note as the cavalry hunkered inside the infantry squares as the enemy were mowed down in their futile charges against Napoleon's disciplined men. Robbed of glory and hardened by the deprivations the French troops sustained in Egypt, Murat joined a chorus of complainers against Napoleon. When informed by his close confidants that some of his generals might revolt against his command, Napoleon remarked, quote, I know some generals are mutinous and preach revolt. Let them take care. I am as high above a general as above a drummer. And if necessary, I will as soon have the one shot as the other, end quote. Finally, in July 1799, Murat had his first real chance for battlefield glory in Egypt. The British naval fleet had ferried 18,000 Turkish troops for an assault on the French. Napoleon immediately dispatched an attacking force to the beachhead to contest this invasion. The Battle of Abu Kir featured 8,000 French infantry and 1,000 French cavalry against the Turks who had dug into their positions. After French cannons had opened up gaps in the Turkish lines, Murat charged through the opening and wheeled his cavalry around to turn the flanks. The Turkish troops fled in disorder and were cut down by the cavalry, and thousands more went fleeing into the sea where they drowned. Murat and a few troopers then brazenly galloped up to the Turkish headquarters under Mustafa Pasha and demanded his surrender. Pasha replied with a pistol shot into Murat's face, wounding him in the jaw. 
In response, Murat slashed him with a saber, knocking the pistol out of his hand and severing two fingers. The battle was won with 16,000 casualties for the Turks against only 800 for the French. Afterwards, Napoleon wrote the government in Paris about the battle. Quote, The winning of the battle is chiefly due to General Murat. His cavalry brigade achieved the impossible. End quote. In 1799, Murat was one of the chosen few to leave the French army in Egypt and return with Napoleon to France. Murat was promoted to general of division that same year. Also in 1799, Murat supported Napoleon's coup for power in the famous 18 Brumaire. After Napoleon announced his attentions within the legislators' meeting in Paris, some of the lawmakers denounced Napoleon as a traitor and threatened him with daggers. After Napoleon regained his composure, he went back into that building with Murat's troopers. Murat instructed his soldiers to march forward and throw the lawmakers out. The politicians went bounding for the exit, and some literally jumped out of the windows as they saw a wall of bayonets storming towards them. With that, Napoleon became First Council of France. A few months afterward, Murat won the hand of Napoleon's sister Caroline, who was possibly the most Machiavellian of the Bonaparte family. Her hand was highly sought after by many generals and politicians due to her close relationship with Napoleon. As Napoleon once stated, quote, Of all my family, she is the one that resembles me the most. End quote. Caroline fell in love with the brash, charismatic Murat, and the two were married in January 1800. In 1801, they welcomed their first son, named Achille. Murat and Caroline would have three more children, all of whom lived to adulthood. Three years after the birth of Achille, Murat was bestowed another honor, being named one of the original 18 marshals of the empire by Napoleon. Other than Chief of Staff Marshal Berthier, Murat was the most senior marshal due to his being the emperor's brother-in-law. He was also named Grand Admiral of the Empire, although his naval skills were limited. In 1805, his performance as cavalry leader would be put to the test. When the Grand Armée moved quickly from the coast of France to the forests of Germany, Murat was the one scouting the terrain for their movements. He had an excellent eye for lines of march and attack and for where to throw out his cavalry screen. This screen allowed Napoleon's infantry and artillery to move without being seen or scouted by the enemy. When Austrian General Mack was surrounded and ultimately had to capitulate, a large part of the credit was duly given to Murat and his cavalry. In the latter battle of Austerlitz, Murat worked well with Marshal Lannes in holding down the left side of the line as Marshal Soult 
and Davu worked their magic in the center and the right side. The battle was a resounding victory for Napoleon over the Russians and Austrians. In 1806, Murat was awarded with another title as Grand Duke of Berg. In the same year, Prussia went to war against Napoleon and was quickly defeated in the twin battles of Jena-Auerstadt. What followed was the famous pursuit of the three marshals, Murat, Soult, and Bernadotte, who mopped up the remnants of the shattered Prussian army. At the Battle of Lübeck, the three marshals and their troops captured 8,000 men and 80 artillery pieces under the command of the famous General Blücher. The wily Prussian noted the following in the surrender document, quote, I capitulate since I have neither bread nor ammunition, end quote. In addition to these captured cannons, the French cavalry also remounted itself on splendid Prussian horses. These mounts would soon be needed on the frosty fields of Eilau. It was here that the Russians and Prussians turned at bay to face the pursuing Grand Armée. The 1807 battle was a slugfest between two heavyweights in the middle of a blizzard. After initial attacks by Marshal Soult and Marshal Ajuru failed, the 76,000 Russian troops began to assault the French positions, and the French center was nearly broken. A clearly anxious Napoleon rode up to Murat and demanded a cavalry charge to give his battered army a respite. A cavalry charge is about timing and waiting for the perfect moment, and no one was better at this than Marshal Murat. His emperor grew impatient, yelling at Murat, quote, Are you just going to let the Russians eat us up? End quote. Murat probably reminded the emperor which branch of the army he was trained in, the artillery, not the cavalry. Cavalry leaders are notoriously touchy about being ordered to charge by non-cavalry leaders. Marshal Long found this out at Aspern Essling, and Marshal MacDonald learned this lesson at Bagram. Finally, when the moment was right, Murat, in his gold-embroidered uniform, gave the signal and launched one of the greatest cavalry charges in history. With 90 squadrons, 11,000 men, slamming into the sides of the Russian army. Murat was at their head with a golden cane in hand and stopped the Russians dead in their tracks. Oddly enough, Murat rarely charged with a saber in hand. It was usually a riding crop or cane. Seems strange until you think about it. But Murat's job was not to engage in single hand-to-hand -hand combat with the enemy. In the case of Eilau, he was not content with the heavy blows and captured cannons in the first charge. So the cavalry reformed, wheeled, and charged back again. When the battle was over, each army had suffered 15,000 casualties, but Murat had saved the French army from destruction. From there, Murat pressed on into the Kingdom of Poland, 
with his cavalry and his sights on a crown. The Poles, under Prince Poniatowski, greeted Murat with enthusiasm. A few weeks later, when the wannabe king presented himself to Napoleon with a ridiculously ornate uniform, he was met by sharp words from his emperor. Quote, Go and put your proper uniform on. You look like a clown. End quote. Unfortunately for Murat and the Polish people, the peace between Napoleon and Russia and the Treaty of Tilsit squashed any notions of a Polish kingdom revival. Murat would have to wait just a little bit longer for his crown. In 1808, he was made commander-in-chief of the French occupation force in Spain and Portugal, and essentially the viceroy of Napoleon in the Iberian Peninsula. The Spanish hated the occupying French army and soon revolted in the Dos de Mayo uprising in Madrid. Spanish insurgents attacked French troops within the capital, and Murat responded with violent crackdowns. The uprising was soon quelled, and Murat was replaced with Napoleon's brother Joseph. Murat was thrilled to leave as he took Joseph's place as King of Naples. He was received with warmth from his new subjects, but he almost immediately rubbed his emperor the wrong way. He treated his kingdom as an independent country, not as a vassal state of Napoleon. The simple citizens of Naples were dazzled by Murat's charisma and ostentatious wardrobe. They were also proud to have Napoleon's sister as queen, and she often ruled as regent while Murat was off on campaign with the Grand Armée. Although Murat raised taxes to pay for his regal spending and government works, he also did some good things. He introduced the Napoleonic Code, which brought structure to the old feudal legal system, and he opened many colleges and schools throughout the country to better educate his impoverished subjects. In late 1808, Murat launched a military campaign that captured the Isle of Capri from the English. In another odd twist, the British commander Hudson Lowe was later to be Napoleon's prison warden during his exile. Murat next planned to invade Sicily, but this action was canceled at the last minute by Napoleon. Murat was infuriated at this and got retribution by turning a blind eye towards trading with the British in violation to Napoleon's continental system. For the next few years, Murat and Caroline enjoyed their time in the Italian sun, far away from Napoleon's troubles in Spain and Germany. Napoleon considered having Murat give up his throne and insinuated it during the christening of Napoleon's son, but both the king and Napoleon's sister Caroline vehemently protested this idea. That they would protest just the idea of it should have given Napoleon a clue that his brother-in-law and sister would eventually turn on him. In 1812, Murat was finally called back to active duty on the front lines for Napoleon's massive invasion of Russia. Caroline ruled in his stead, 
while Murat joined Napoleon for this allegedly brief incursion into Russia. If only Murat knew the full length of the invasion and the horrors that awaited him. Murat led the vanguard, using his cavalry to chase the Russian army as the enemy withdrew ever deeper into their homeland. Along the way, Murat was wearing out five horses a day, as well as the infantry units that tried to keep up with him. For as great as a horseman as he was, he never truly learned to care for his animals, nor did he shod them properly for the icy roads of Russia. He performed well at the epic Battle of Borodino, helping to secure a pirate victory for Napoleon. After a few weeks camped around Moscow, Murat's corps was surprised and defeated at the Battle of Torrentino, losing 3,000 troops and 12 cannons. This attack prompted Napoleon's retreat from Russia to begin in earnest. Once the retreat started, Murat had 10,000 mounted cavalry remaining. But due to the long marches and lack of rest, the horses began to suffer from hunger, bad fodder, and exhaustion. Murat also insisted on keeping the cavalry concentrated on the main roads, which left little time for foraging or finding water for the horses. By the time the Grand Armée reached their escape route over the Berezina River, only 1,800 mounted troopers remained. In early December, Napoleon left Murat in command of the remnant of troops and fled back to Paris. By this time, Murat was a shell of his old self, as almost all of his personal guard had died from frostbite, and he was constantly worried about his throne in Naples. Without awaiting permission from Napoleon, and depressed by the situation, Murat left the army without designating a successor and fled back to his kingdom. Once back in sunny Italy, he and Caroline began to negotiate with the Allies to secure their thrones in the event of Napoleon's downfall. But Napoleon used the loyalty card one more time to beckon him back to the front at Dresden in 1813. Napoleon's 135,000 troops were surrounded by the Allies' 215,000 soldiers, but the Emperor and Murat went back to their old dashing ways one more time. Using interior lines of defense, the French held off the initial Allied attacks before unleashing their own hellish counterattack that overwhelmed the Allied troops. The weather was rainy, and thus the Allied infantry could not fire their muskets, making them easy prey for the mounted cavalry of Murat. The French suffered 10,000 casualties, and the Allies took 38,000 casualties. But this was to be the last victory for the Murat-Napoleon partnership. Murat fought once more under Napoleon at the October 1813 Battle of Nations at Leipzig, but this was an abysmal loss for both men. Murat left the army soon after, under the guise of raising more troops and securing his kingdom. But the two men never saw each other again. Sad in a way, 
18 years of friendship and family ties ending just like that. But both Murat and Caroline realized Napoleon would never accept the peace treaty dictated by the Allies. They also worried that the British and Russians would invade their country and dethrone them. Thus, in January 1814, Murat finalized an agreement to join the Allies in concert to defeat Napoleon. For the record, he was the first of the marshals to turn against his benefactor. Marshal Marmont gets most of the flack for being the betrayer of Napoleon, but Murat was the first to make his move as he marched against Napoleon's armies under Prince Eugene in Italy. Marmont's mistake was to turn on Napoleon with French soldiers under the gates of Paris. Murat's treachery occurred far away in Italy. Murat and his army occupied Rome and issued a proclamation, quote, I fought loyally at the emperor's side, but now I can deceive myself no longer. I know that the emperor's sole desire is war, end quote. After Napoleon's abdication three months later in April 1814, Murat's position as king was still unstable. No one trusted him. Not the Allies, nor the Bourbon royals, nor Napoleon. When Napoleon escaped Elba and retook the French throne in 1815, Murat was in awe of his old emperor. Wanting to emulate him and support him, he marched his Neapolitan army against the Austrians in the Battle of Tolentino. Unfortunately for Murat, he was using the soldiers of Naples, not the sturdy veterans of the Grand Armée. His army had a habit of fleeing whenever the going got tough. Murat had his soldiers decked out in the finest uniforms money could buy, but there was a saying about the army of Naples which had little to no military tradition, quote, dress them in whatever you like, they will still run away, end quote. His army of 25,000 troops was defeated by an Austrian army half that size. After that humiliating loss, Murat knew his reign was over. He fled to Paris and offered his services to Napoleon for his upcoming Waterloo campaign against the British and Prussians. But Napoleon didn't trust him and was still appalled by his duplicitous conduct the previous year. Murat was refused an audience with the emperor. Napoleon later regretted this decision, saying on his exile in St. Helena, quote, that at Waterloo, Murat might have given us the victory. For what did we need? To break three or four English squares. Murat was just the man for the job. End quote. I agree. As Dr. McCoy stated in the movie Star Trek, quote, If you're going to ride in the Kentucky Derby, you don't leave your prize stallion in the stable. End quote. Napoleon left his prize cavalry stallion in the stable when he needed him most. It was to be a disastrous decision for both men. Napoleon famously lost the Battle of Waterloo, and Murat fled to Napoleon's homeland of Corsica, after the Bourbons put a price on his head. 
But the image of Napoleon's glorious return from exile to win back his throne still hung in Murat's mind. He attempted the same thing, landing in Pizzo, Italy, with the idea of Italians rising up and returning him to his rightful place on the throne. Unfortunately, he and his small band of followers were captured shortly after they arrived in Italy by the forces of King Ferdinand. He was tried and convicted of treason and shot by firing squad. Vain till the end, he refused a blindfold and instructed the soldiers to shoot at his heart and not at his face. And thus ended the storybook Rise and Fall of the greatest cavalrymen to ever live. His wife Caroline fled to Austria and adopted the title Countess of Lipona, which was an anagram of Napoli, as Naples is known in Italy. In 1830, Caroline married again and lived in Florence until her death in 1839. Her son, Achille, emigrated to the U.S. and lived in the oldest city of St. Augustine, Florida. He also served in the Florida militia for a spell as lieutenant colonel, which probably would have made his father proud. In reviewing his career, Murat had a battle record of 14 wins and five losses. He was kind to prisoners, liked by his men, and respected by his enemies, especially the Russian Cossacks. He has been accused of being dim-witted, as he was not a tactician and had no concept of strategy. But such criticisms are reminiscent of General Kilpatrick of the Union Army during the American Civil War. Kilpatrick earned the nickname of General Kill Cavalry for his rash decisions, aggressiveness, fearlessness, and ambition. He was also known to relentlessly wear out his horses and his men. Other officers complained about him to famed commander General Sherman, who responded, quote, I know that Kilpatrick is a hell of a damned fool, but I want just that sort of man to command my cavalry. End quote. I believe Napoleon probably felt the same way about Murat. For all his foibles, Napoleon could not find anyone better to command his cavalry, as he found out the hard way at Waterloo. I believe we will finish up on this point. Join us next time when we discuss the greatest marshal of them all, the unique Michel Ney. Thanks for listening.